0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, we name Tonight, through the grace of God, we will study chapter 7 from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. St. Paul starts the chapter by summarizing his appeals and his creeds to the Corinthians that he made in chapter 6. He appealed to them to be separate from the children of the world, not to associate with them. As the Lord told us, come out from among them, I will be your father and you will be my children. So St. Paul actually in this one Summarize these appeals or these pleas to them, and he told them to live spiritual purity away from the defilement of the flesh and of the spirit. Also, in chapter six, he told them that their heart is closed, so he asked them to open their heart and to receive them, to have big heart to receive them. Then actually, from verse 12, uh, uh, sorry, then actually starting from verse 4, he returns to a point that he mentioned in chapter 2, regarding his anxiety when searching for titles. As you know, there was a man and Corinth, committed a big sin. He committed adultery with his father's wife. And St. Paul said, even such sin is not known among the Gentiles who do not know God, among the non-believers, that a person commits adultery or sexual immorality with his father's wife. And Saint Paul in First in First Corinthians chapter five, he excommunicated this man. And after the excommunication and the letter, he didn't have rest in his heart. He, he wanted to know how the people received his letter and what happened to this man after his uh, after he was excommunicated. So actually, he sent Titus to Corinth in order to bring some news from the church to St. Paul. And he was expecting to see Titus in Tirwas. When he went to Tirwas, he didn't find Titus. So actually, he didn't find peace in his heart. And although the Lord opened a big door for ministry in Tirwas, He couldn't do anything. He was so worried about the church in Koran after the harsh letter that he sent to them. That's why he left the was searching for Titus. And in chapter 7, he explained to them what happened. Then he found Titus in Macedonia. He left it from from Turwas and went to Macedonia. And found Titus in Macedonia. And actually, the report that Titus brought to him from Corinth had very, very good news. And St. Paul was comforted and rejoiced in his heart by the news that Titus brought to him from Corinth. Even the manner in which Titus was received by the Corinthians. St. Paul with joy. Titus was the disciple of St. Paul. So, if the people did not receive Titus well, as if they are angry at St. Paul. So, when they received the Titus' in obedience with joy and respect, actually, this comforted St. Paul. He knew that his letter produced the uh, wanted uh, fruits. So the, the letter that he sent to the produced the desired fruits. Because the Corinthians received his letter with godly sorrow that led to true repentance. Yes, they were sorrowful. They were sorrowful. And so sorrow actually is needed for repentance, as Saint Paul explained in this chapter, that Godly sorrow leads to repentance. But Saint Paul differentiated between the Godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. And Saint Paul assured them that it is out of his love, out of his care, he wrote such a letter. His intention was not to make them sorrowful, but his intention actually was to lead them to repentance. And the way he had received Titus, and the way he received the letter from St. Paul, by obedience, actually gave St. Paul confidence in the Corinthians. He made him more confident in the faith in their obedience, and their loyalty, and their commitment to the gospel of Christ. This is actually the summary of the chapter and now let's read verse by verse uh, in the chapter. Verse 1 Therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god he is saying having these promises what are these promises the promises that he mentioned to them in chapter 6 verse 17 and 18. God promised to them if they left Away from the ungodly people, if they did not mingle with the ungodly people, if they did not marry from the non believers, then God will accept them to Him. And you will be their father, and they will be His children, and the Holy Spirit will dwell in them, and they will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So St. Paul telling them, now having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So St. Paul actually is differentiating between the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. There are sins coming from the flesh or related to the flesh and there are some sins related to the spirit. And he calls these sins the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. So actually he is asking them to live in spiritual maturity. What are the sins of the flesh? Actually, all the sensual sins that are related to the flesh, like addiction, like sexual immorality. All these are the sins related to the flesh. But also, our spirit could be defiled by another uh, list of sins, like the list that Paul mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and 21. For example, anger is a sin of the spirit. Bitterness is a sin of spirit. Wrath is a sin of spirit. Envy is a sin of spirit. Hatred is a sin of spirit. So St. Paul saying, now having all these promises from God, let us cleanse ourselves from the sins of the flesh and also from the sins of the spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What does it mean perfecting holiness? Actually, there are two commandments. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. So we as Christians should strive for perfect holiness. Yes, nobody can claim that I became perfect in holiness, but we should grow. And perfect our holiness. We should be actually striving for greater holiness all the time. And how can we achieve this? How can we perfect our holiness? How can we grow in holiness? Which, or about which St. Paul mentioned in his letter to Hebrews, without holiness, nobody can see God. So, holiness is a condition. see God. Without holiness nobody can see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The only way to perfect your holiness is to walk in the fear of God. To keep the fear of God in front of your eyes. That's why he said perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ask yourself What makes a person commit any sin if the fear of God does not exist in his heart? Unfortunately, many times we fear men, but we don't fear God. If somebody is watching me, maybe I am embarrassed to commit a sin. But if I am by myself, which is not true, because if I am by myself, God God is watching me but I don't fear God and I allow myself actually to commit many any sins. Uh, Saint John Climatus, who wrote the book The Ladder to Heaven, he said in his book The Ladder, many people fear animals more than they fear God. And he gave an example, if a thief it went to a house to steal it. and then a dog start to bark, Maybe the field, the thief will run. So he, he feared the dog not fearing God. That's why if you want to perfect holiness you need to walk in the fear of God. Verse two open your hearts to us we have wronged it, no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one. In chapter 6, he told them, our heart, the heart of Saint Paul and the Apostles, are widely open to you. So, you are not restricted in our hearts, you have place in our hearts, but you are restricted in your bowels. your hearts which means we do not have place in your heart we love you but you do not love us that's why he told them open your heart to us why you are angry at us open your heart at us why you do not love us so make room in your heart for us and for our admonition. we have wronged no man even the offender, that whom I excommunicated, I did not wrong him. He actually got what he deserved. He left in sexual immorality. And to excommunicate him, actually I am doing this to lead him to repentance. So we have wronged no man. Even in the severe charges of the first letter by like this offender, we have corrupted no man. Because actually, some of the opponents of Saint Paul were accusing him that his teaching corrupted the people, because he asked them not to follow the law, because. Uh, now are living by the grace of God. So they consider, you know, his teaching corrupted the people at Corinth. That's why Saint Paul told them, we have rocked no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one. Another accusation that Saint Paul actually uh, was asking the people to follow him, not to follow God. So he is cheating them. And as if he is demanding the financial support, because in First Corinthians chapter nine, he spoke about you know how the church should support the, the servants of the church. So St. Paul told them, Open your heart to us. Examine carefully our relationship with you. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one, verse 3. I do not say this to condemn, it, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. St. Paul saying, when I, I, I am telling you we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one, I am not accusing you that you are making these charges against me. I know you didn't say these things against me. I know very well that only my adversaries, my enemies, who are saying this accusation against me. But I am not condemning you, I am not saying that you are accusing me that I wronged you, or I corrupted you, or I cheated you. And I want to assure you, as I said before, said before where? In chapter 6 verse 11 and verse 12, when he told them our heart is widely open to you, and you live in our heart. So he's telling them, if you live in my heart, then actually, if we die, we'll die together. And if we live, we live together. You are part of me, so I'm not condemning you, because if I condemn you, I'm condemning myself. You are part of me. If, as I have said before, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. This is actually a very, very beautiful description about how the relationship should be between the pastor and the flock. This relationship should be a relationship of unity, of oneness, to live in our heart so actually, we will rejoice together, and we will suffer together. We will live together, and we will die together, because all of us are one. And we are one, actually, in the body of Christ. But in the Old Testament, actually, the high priest used to wear breastplate and has 12 stones. And these 12 stones has the name of the 12 tribes, as if he, are, he is carrying his people in his heart. And actually the, 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 the priest should carry the people in his heart as the forsake. said, you are in our heart. So, God in our heart, we will live together and we will die together. That's actually the best expression of the undying affection the best expression of the underlying affection of St. toward work. Verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Now St. Paul starts to tell them about how the news that he received from types Filled his heart with joy. So, actually, he used four different expressions. The first expression, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. As if he is saying, When I speak about you, I speak with confidence. I speak with boldness. Because I know that you repented. I know that you are obedient to the gospel of Christ. So when I speak about you, I speak with boldness, I speak with confidence. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. When the priest or the pastor see his flock living life of repentance, he will boast, he will take pride, he will be proud of them. He will be boasting on, on their behalf. Great is my blessing on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful even in all our tribulation. So he's telling them, yes, every day we face hardship. Every day we face tribulation. Every day we face affliction. But when we hear good news about you, about your life with Christ, This will comfort us. This will make us exceedingly joyful, even in the midst of our tribulation. And believe me, what saddens, or what makes the heart of a priest become sad and sorrowful when he sees his people and his children drifting away from Christ. But when he sees his children growing in the love of Christ, then even in the midst of the most difficult hardship. Even in the midst of the most difficult tribulation, he becomes joyful and comforted by the repentance of his people. As I told you, when St. Paul came from Apsos to the west and expected to meet title there, with words from Korans concerning the effect of his first letter, he didn't find their, uh, titles in the West. That's why, as he said in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve, I didn't have rest in my soul. That's what actually he would speak about in verse five. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Out, uh, on every side, outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. So now he is explaining to them in what condition he came from Tyruas to Macedonia. Not meeting him in Tyruas, he went to Macedonia. But he was so distressed in his mind, in his spirit, and also in his flesh. His flesh had no rest. He was so tired. And most of the time when the person psychologically is distressed, or stressed out, also his body will be tired. That's why he told them, when we came to Macedonia from the west, we were so tired physically. Our bodies had no rest. And we were trapped from every side. From our side, there was conflict. Conflict with the enemies of Christ. Conflict with the opponents. Conflict with the Judaizers who want to bring you back to the Jewish law, to be saved by the Jewish law. So from outside, there was conflict. And from inside, we had fears. Fears lest the church suffer loss, lest this man who was excommunicated will never return back. List there is a division in the church around the letter of St. Paul. So, can you imagine with me the condition of St. Paul? From inside, he has fears, worries about, you know, the church in Corinth, about every soul in this church. And from outside, conflict with the enemies of Christ. And physically, he was so tired. That was his condition when he came from the west to Macedonia, especially because he did not meet Titus in Theros. Verse 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And I like here how St. Paul described God. God who comforts the downcast. If you feel down, if you feel that you are desperate, that there is no hope, all the doors are closed in front of you. God is the hope for the hopeless. God is the help for the helpless. Think about many, many examples in the scripture and in our life. Like Mary and Martha, they lost hope in their brother, but God was the hope for the hopeless and was able to raise ladders from the dead. So, St. Paul knew very well that God will not leave him in such condition. After he suffered from outside and from inside, he was so sure that God will not leave him in such condition, but He will comfort him. That's why he said, God, who usually comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Because Titus brought to him joyful news of the repentance and the reformation at the Church of Corinth. And actually, this news turned his suffering, his affliction, into joy. So all of a sudden, after he was very, very troubled, after he was oppressed from outside and from within, now he was comforted, and all this affliction turned into joy. Verse 7. And not only by his coming. So he is saying the reason of my joy, number one, because I saw Titus, my beloved disciple, my beloved son, my beloved fellow worker, I was so happy. To see him. So he rejoices to meet a beloved fellow laborer like Titus. But not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. Other reasons for his joy. Number one, as I told you, to meet Titus, this made the heart of St. Paul joyful. But other reasons. Number two, Titus himself was comforted by the repentance of the Corinthians. So he was rejoiced because Titus was comforted by the repentance and the reformation of the Corinthians. Number three. When he heard the news about the church in Corinth, also this comfort him. What news? He mentioned three things. Number one, he heard about their earnest desire. Earnest desire to cleanse themselves from fault. Earnest desire to cleanse themselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. He became so happy. Another reason, their mourning. They became sorrowful, as Saint Paul will explain, with godly sorrow. They mourned over the proof of their sins. They grieved because they disappointed God by having such sin in their life. And number three, their zeal for Him as he told them, and your zeal for me. So even when he wrote to them such harsh letter, they did not take a stand against St. Paul. But actually they became more zealous and more affectionate. They have zeal to please St. Paul. Because they know St. Paul cares about them. As a father, he actually wants to shepherd them in the green pastures beside the still waters that's why they trusted St. Paul they were not angry at him when they heard his letter so that Ali rejoiced even more so he rejoiced because he saw Titus because Titus was joyful because he heard about their earnest desire their mourning and the seal for him. Verse 8 For even if I made you sorry with my letter I do not regret it though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry though only for a while. St. Paul he told them After I wrote the letter to you. I realized that this letter will make you serve. And at one time, I regretted sending this letter to you. But when Titus came and told me that this letter changes their life, led them to repentance, reformed the church there, now, I do not regret that I sent the letter. I regret it because I feel it will not produce the desired fruit. I feel that I may lose you, or I lose some of you. And as a father, I cannot afford losing anyone of you. But now, after I heard the news from uh, Thais, I. Actually, now I don't regret that I sent you this letter. Especially, this sorrow was temporary. Yes, my letter or my epistemic sorrow so only for a while. But now, with repentance, your sorrow turned into what? into joy. So, this sorrow is not permanent. It was only temporary. Verse 9. Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, definitely not. I am not happy that I made you sorry. This is not the reason of my joy. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. St. Paul is saying that now I rejoice, not because I made you sorry. A father will never rejoice when he makes his son sorrowful. But I I rejoice because your sorrow led to repentance. And here, just I want to differentiate between sorrow and repentance. St. Paul actually differentiated between the sorrow and the repentance. He said sorrow led to repentance. So, sorrow is different from repentance. I will explain the difference. Many people, when actually they develop remorse over sin, they think that they repent. But no, many people actually may develop remorse without repentance. So, we need to differentiate between sorrow and repentance. St. Paul told them, uh, your sorrow led to a repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner. So there is a godly sorrow, and there is the sorrow of the world. Two different types of sorrow. I will differentiate between them. The godly sorrow leads to repentance. But the ungodly sorrow, or the sorrow of the world, leads to death. What a big difference. So he told them, you were made sorry in a godly manner. The godly sorrow is sorrowing in a way pleasing to God. And actually it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit will convict me, I will develop the godly sorrow now I rejoice not that you were made sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing what does it mean you might suffer loss from us in nothing what added actually to his pleasure that he's writing to them and the effect it produced has not been in the least harmful to anybody. His letter did not hurt anybody. His letter to them did not make anybody stray from the church or stay away from the church. But this sorrow, this sorrow, were developed in them in such a way they were not hurt in their souls but actually they repented and bore the fruit of repentance. And their church did not suffer any loss, even the offender, he repented and returned it back. And here as as a true shepherd, he cares about every saying it first. That's why he said that you might suffer, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You will not lose anything. Our letter should not harm you. Our letter did not harm you. Our letter did not hurt you. Nobody was offended by the letter. Nobody was lost by the letter. And this actually, should be the focus of the clergy in their service, not to lose anybody. When even we use the discipline, we have to know that the purpose of discipline is bringing people to the church, not pushing people away from the church. So actually, if with my discipline I pushed people away from the church, this is wrong. It produced the opposite. Uh, uh, fruit or the opposite result. That's why St. Paul was comforted when he realized that his letter did not offend anybody, did not hurt or harm anybody. Even the offender himself, the person who committed adultery with his father's wife, which was actually the occasion of all this trouble, was recovered and restored by his epistle and by religion. Verse 10. Verse 10, St. Paul differentiates between the godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. St. Paul said there are certain steps in here. The Holy Spirit will convict you. When you commit a sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you. Then you need to develop this sorrow. With this sorrow, actually, the second step is to repent. And repentance is changing of mind and behavior, renewal of your mind. So there will be fruit. Instead, of being a, a rubber, you will be honest. Instead of being a liar, you will be faithful. Instead of being involved to sexual immorality, you will be pure. So the sorrow when we develop this remorse within our hearts, but the repentance is the change in the mind and in the behavior. A real change will happen in the person. A real change, everybody will see it, everybody will not see it. So repentance is the result of God's sorrow. Actually, with your repentance, you are securing your salvation. Because the Lord has said, unless you repent, you will all perish unless you repent, you will perish. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and verse 5. So there is no salvation without repentance. And the effect of this repentance is never regretted. Nobody will regret this repentance. And the, the effect of this repentance will never regret it. Uh, we never heard that some Moses in black or some Augustine or St. Legia All these uh, penitent sins regretted. One day they return back to God, never to be regretted. What is the difference between the repentance and sorrow? As I told you, sorrow is the grief in the heart, but repentance is a change of heart wrought by the Godly sorrow for sin. And when we say repentance, this means a real change in the life of the person. St. Paul said, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Let me give you an example about the sorrow of the world to differentiate from the God of the soul. The best example is the example of Judas. Judas actually, after he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, He was sorrowful. And He said, I regret that I uh, delivered innocent blood to you. But, this sorrow of Judas was initiated by his evil, not by the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? Many times when we commit a sin, we say, how me, who is a servant of the church, who is a deacon, who is an active church member, who is a believer for so long, how I fall in such sin? And this sorrow and this grief is not because I disappointed God. It's not because I disobeyed God. But it's because how come I commit such a sin? How come I am embarrassed among the community? How come that people will think about me in such a way? So this sorrow actually initiated by the evil, but the sorrow that initiated by the Holy Spirit, actually the, the reason behind my sorrow and my grief is because I grieve and in the heart of God. I disobey God. I made God sorrow, sorrowful because of me, because of my sin. Second difference, which is very important, the godly sorrow is full of hope, because it's initiated by the Holy Spirit. But the sorrow of the world is full of despair. There is no hope in the sorrow of the world. A best example of the godly sorrow, is the sorrow of Saint Peter after he denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times? He wept bitterly, but he did not kill himself because he had confidence that Christ would forgive him, will accept him. But the sorrow of the world results in despair, and leads to destruction of life <laughs> and to eternal death. So. People will regret the sorrow of the world but nobody will regret the godly sorrow because the godly sorrow leads to repentance, leads to salvation, not to be regretted. Sorrow of the world leads to destruction, despair, hopelessness, which it will be regretted. So Saint Paul told them, you were sorrowful in a godly man. verse 11 for observe this very thing now St. Paul will give them the evidence the proof that their sorrow was a deadly sorrow because it led to repentance and actually produced fruit of repentance in them and St. Paul mentioned so many fruits in verse 11 observe this very thing that you sorrow in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What devil desire. What sin. What indication. You mentioned here seven fruits. This sorrow led to repentance. And actually, they bore seven fruits of repentance. What are these seven fruits of repentance? Number one, Diligence. Actually, the people at Corinth had indifference to the sin. They didn't take an action when they heard about this man committed adultery with his father's life. But after Sir Paul actually sent then the letter, they are not indifferent anymore. They are so sensitive to sins, and actually they are so diligent in in keeping the purity of the church. That's why he said the second fruit, clearing of yourselves. Now they acknowledge their indifference, they acknowledge their neglect, they acknowledge their sins, now actually want to clear themselves from the sin. And actually, they showed diligence in purifying themselves from the the sin. They prayed, they declared that they do not approve the sin. And now they took stand in actually participating in excommunicating this person by not eating with him, by not drinking with him, by not associating with him, they took a stand and thus, actually, they cleared themselves and they proved they did not approve or validate his action. The third fruit, indignation. Indignation is the holy anger. You know, not every anger is bad anger. There is a type of anger, it's holy anger. Holy anger when it's directed towards sin. Usually the Bible uses the word indignation when it speaks about the holy anger. So everybody in the Quran became indignant against sin that disgraced the church, that took the grace of the church away. So he became angry. And if you are angry at sin, you will never fall in sin again. So, number one, diligence. Number two, clearing of themselves. Number three, indignation. Number four, fear. This sorrow produced in them the fear of God. Do you remember in verse one, he told them, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And as I said, if the person walks in the fear of God, he will never uh, disobey God. So they developed the fear of God. And also the fear of grieving the apostles and the, 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 the ministers of God. Also the fear lest that sin and the corruption is spread in the church, because sin is contagious. So this was another fruit of the repentance, the fruit of fear. Number four, vehement desire, vehement desire. Desire of seeing the Apostle comforting him, desire to be kept away from evil, desire to honor God and to please God in their life. Number five, zeal, zeal for God and for His glory, zeal to keep the Church pure and clean, zeal actually in actually restoring the discipline of the Church. Because the discipline of the Church is needed to keep the Church pure. Like when the Lord Jesus Christ on, on Mosanna Sunday kicked the people outside the temple, the disciples remember this verse, the zeal of your house eaten me up. So why the Lord purifies the temple? because of the zeal. So the zeal actually will lead the person maybe to discipline in order to purify and cleanse the church of God. Vindication. Vindication means to punish the sin, punish all disobedience, and discipline the offender with a purpose to bring him back to Christ very, very important when I'm speaking about punishment. The purpose of punishment is not condemnation. The purpose of punishment is restoration. The Lord said, I did not come to condemn the world, but I came to save the world. So when we punish or when we discipline, the purpose of punishment is not condemnation, but the purpose of punishment is uh, restoration. So i told them, now do you know, do you want an evidence that you saw it in a godly manner? See what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves produced in you, what indignation produced in you, what fear produced in you, what and desire produced in you, what zeal produced in you, what vindication. In all things, in all things, you proved yourselves be clear in this manner. Actually, this verse is very, very uh, amazing to me. They were indifferent to the sin. They were negligent in taking an action. And St. Paul actually rebuked them harshly in in the first letter because they did not take an action. But now St. Paul is saying that in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. And this showed to me the forgiving, forgiving spirit of St. Paul. Once the people in Corinth repented, acknowledged their sins, St. Paul told them, You know what? You are clear completely in this matter. Yes, as we read, how great the repentance is. Because the repentance Can change the adulterers into virgins. Repentance can change the adulterers into uh, virgins. So St. Paul is telling them, now it's clear to me that you did not consent to this this sin, you did not approve to to this sin. Although at first they were unconcerned about the sin, but by discovering true repentance for their negligence. St. Paul perceived them as if they had not offended at all, as if they are fear. Then in verse uh, 12, St. Paul told them, uh, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who have done the wrong, not for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you and the sight of God might appear to you. So for them, what is the purpose of my first letter to you when I rebuked you? Actually I didn't write it only for the sake of the offender to bring him to repentance. I didn't write it only for the sake of the person who was offended or hurt by this offense, which is his father and the offended fathers and his wife. Unless his wife participated in the sin by, by her own will, by her own desire. But St. Paul is saying, I did not write my a harsh letter to you because of the offender or because of the person who uh, was offended by the sin, although this was part of my intention. But the main purpose is to show you my care for the whole church because, as he said in the first letter, a small lump will live in the whole church. If we leave this sin, and the church, it will grow, spread among the whole church. So actually, I took this action in order to keep your church holy and pure, and thus you will know that I care for you, that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you, to know how much we love you, how much we care about you, how much want your church to be holy and to be pure. Then, in the last four verses of this chapter, he spoke about how types was joyful and how the joy of types was reflected also for Verse 13, therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of types, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Support for them. when one, When we went to Macedonia, we were so troubled. But once we heard about your news, we actually were comforted by your comfort. So you are the reason of my comfort. He is expressing his joy over the happy change in the church of Corinth, a joy which also refreshed the heart of Titus, as he told them, and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Your news made me joyful. Your news refreshed also the heart of Titus. And because Titus was joyful, we became also joyful. Verse 14. For if in, in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed, <laughs> but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so, our posting to Titus was found true. Paul sent the Titus to Korans. He told them, you know what? The people in Corinth, they are very good people. Yes, this sin happened. But I am sure you will find all of them now repenting. Maybe he said this to encourage Titus to go there, to support him. And now, when Titus went there, and he heard the people repenting, St. Paul told them, he did not embarrass me, I am not ashamed, when actually I said to Titus, you are good, and you will receive my letter in the right way. That's what he said, for if anything, I have boasted to him, to Titus, about you, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed that what I told him was not true. But actually, as I always say the truth, as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting about you, regarding you to Titus, was found the truth. Titus found you repentant people, as I told him. So if I have posted anything to Titus of you, your proper uh, repentance, showed that my posting was true as we speak all things also in truth. Verse 15 And his afflictions are greater for you, his love is greater now to you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, and how with fear and trembling you receive him. So he's saying, even Titus, his affection toward you, his love toward you, now actually it's greater and greater. Why? Every time he remembers your obedience, your repentance, because he repented as a sign of their obedience to St. Paul and to Titus. So every time he remembers your obedience and how in fear and trembling, you repented and you returned back to God. This makes Titus Love you more and more. Titus was not received with disobedience in the church of Corinth, but in a humble and repentant Christian spirit, which actually increased his affection to them greatly. And also, this obedience and this repentance with fear and trembling increased the confidence of St. Paul toward them, as mentioned in verse 16. He told them, therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Now, I'm confident. You prove to me that you are trustworthy, that when I send you the letter, you responded in the right way. I am greatly confident in concerning you, and because of this confidence, I rejoice greatly because of you. Glory be to God forever and ever Amen.